welcome to the American Council of Christian Churches podcast. Since 1941, Bible-believing churches holding to the great fundamental truths of the Word of God as held by the historic Christian Church have worked through the ACCC to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Today's podcast is a breakout session given by Rev. John Mark Turner at the ACCC's 2023 Annual Convention at Faith Baptist Church in Kittery, Maine. John Mark is the pastor of Hardingville Bible Church in Monroeville, New Jersey, and his session was on the subject, Should Christians Gamble? During this same convention, the council also adopted a resolution on gambling, and a link to that resolution is in this podcast's post details. Today to our workshop, my name is Pastor John Mark Turner, and I am the pastor of Hardingville Bible Church in South Jersey. And so we're going to be talking today about gambling, a biblical perspective. So let's go ahead and pray at this time. Father, we thank you that we can have this conference, and especially that we can focus upon your holiness. And so as we focus upon your character, we pray that your spirit would do his work in our hearts, and that with the word he would transform us more and more into the image of Christ. As we look at these various issues, we pray that you would give us good arguments, Lord, to give to the unsuspecting, Lord, to those who are in spiritual danger. Help us to realize that the enemy has many different traps and snares. And so I pray that you would give us wisdom, give us things that we can learn and use in our ministries today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the question that I was given is, should Christians gamble? And the short answer is no. But of course that's not the end of the workshop. You probably remember when your math teacher told you as a child show your work and that is what our lay people are going to ask us to do they're going to ask us to give biblical reasons why these things are wrong why they are at the very least unwise and so i want to start there today should christians gamble just by way of introduction i want to give you my background in this there was no gambling in my household. My dad did not believe in any kind of gambling, any kind of cards, unless you had old maid. And even then my dad sort of frowned on that. He was very, very conservative and in his mind he didn't even want to prepare his children for any kind of, of card games. I can say that although I have been uh, beset by many sins in my life. Gambling is not one of them. But at the same time, in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12, the Bible says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. We should never think that we are beyond any temptation. And sometimes temptations arise later in life. They lie dormant and then they come to the surface. And so as we have come to this workshop today, I'm sure that probably all of us, uh, or most of us probably have had little experience with gambling. But we always need to look to our own souls because the enemy of our souls is always looking for a way to build a stronghold in our lives. And sin, has always been a problem for the human race ever since Genesis 3. But some sins have become easier with technology. And gambling is one of those sins. Also, something else that we should take in mind or keep in mind is that many of our lay people are falling victim to this. Many of the people in our society. I believe personally that the further we move from a Christian heritage as a nation, the more we see these social sins multiplying. It's not enough anymore to say, 
well, our church is against it, or our tradition is against it, mom and dad didn't do it, our grandparents didn't do it. We need to be able to go to God's word and give a defense from the Bible. People want us to show our work. They want us to give them principles. And by the way, that's a good thing. We should all know how to prove what we believe from the word of God. I want to go over several questions and maybe this will sort of get our thoughts moving in a certain direction. But there are questions that people ask about certain kinds of gambling. And you know, this could run the gamut. We could talk about dice and casinos and online betting, online gaming. But let me give you some examples of some of the questions that I've had to uh, raise to me and some of the ones that you may have experience with or may in the future. First of all, is it a sin to buy a raffle ticket to support a fundraiser for cancer cures? So that's one question that is posed to us. As I go through these, one of the things that you'll notice is that there is a faulty philosophy underneath these statements. So let me read that again. Is it a sin to buy a raffle ticket to support a fundraiser for cancer cures? How about this one? Is it a sin to sell a raffle ticket to raise money for your Christian school? And we probably wouldn't go this far, but this kind of brings it in relief. Would we do it to fund a church project? And some people have done that. Well, that question in and of itself betrays a faulty philosophical assumption that the end justifies the means. Pragmatism. So because I'm doing it for a good cause, therefore my activity must be right or I must have an excuse for it. This is very, very common. Now, this can apply not just to gambling. This can apply to any number of things, any number of sins that people engage in. So notice the faulty philosophical assumption of the end justifies the means. When a person comes to you with this query, you need to probe further. Here's another question. Is it wrong to buy a lottery ticket for personal enjoyment? I hear this one. Okay, so I know that I'm probably not going to win. And that is true. You know, I'm not up on the current odds of this, but I think that you have a better chance of getting hit by an asteroid than winning the lottery. In fact, probably getting hit 10 times with an asteroid than you have of winning these jackpots. But yet everybody thinks maybe this is the one. But maybe some people do it just out of entertainment, they say, or just because of enjoyment. They just spend a little portion of their paycheck for a lottery. Again, personal enjoyment cannot be an end in itself. This is not the determiner of whether something is right or wrong. So just because an activity is enjoyable uh, certainly doesn't mean that it's wrong. There are lots of activities in this world that we can engage in and still honor God and still enjoy ourselves. But that in and of itself does not make something right. But again, that is sort of the underlying premise behind this query. I'm just doing it because it's a, a hobby or a personal enjoyment. Okay, here's another one. Is it wrong to bet on fantasy football as a way of connecting with the guys at work? Again, I've heard variations of, of this argument. Evangelism, right? This is a way that I can build bridges to others. Now, can you give me another topic where you hear this a lot? 
Anybody? Has anybody heard any arguments that are similar to this with another topic, not gambling, but something else? Social drinking. Social drinking. That's a big one. Hey, I'm just building bridges with other people. It's an evangelism opportunity, but that doesn't make it right. And what you're doing is you are putting a so-called evangelistic purpose ahead of the glory of God. And we should aim for God's glory. And we should reflect his holiness first and foremost. So, again, we have a, a problem there. And then here's another one. Is it wrong to play slot machines like you would video games? Think about that one for a second. Is it wrong to play a slot machine like you would a video game? Now this is a little bit more challenging. I heard a preacher say that he once went to Las Vegas and he did not believe in gambling, but he did confess. He said, I went into a, a corner grocery and he said, in Las Vegas, Slot machines are ubiquitous, as you would expect. I've never been there, so I don't know. But he said, even in this corner grocery, there was a slot machine. And so he said, you know, I was curious. I had a couple of quarters in my pocket. And he said, I know I probably wasn't going to win, but I just went and, and put them in anyway, almost like I was playing a, a video game. And by the way, he wasn't saying it was right, necessarily. He was just confessing that he did this. And some people will say this. What if you just play it like a game? How about penny any poker? You're, you have a round of, of, of poker and you're just doing it for a pile of pennies. You're not really incurring any financial loss. It's almost like monopoly money at that point. Is that wrong? I would argue there are problems with that. And I, as I have thought this through, what if someone were to find me as a, as a pastor playing blackjack on a phone? I'm not playing for money. And yes, it may be a harmless form of entertainment, but could it be that there is someone that I'm in contact with who does have a problem with gambling and blackjack? And a lot of people do. And they see Pastor Turner playing blackjack on his phone. And by the way, I don't play games, uh, video games. You know, I did when I was a teenager a little bit, but uh, it's just something I don't have time for. But I know that gaming is very popular uh, these days. But I'm talking about specific games here. Um, you know, some people say, well, what about poker? Uh, just as, as a game, playing with chips. You're not even playing with money. But think about this. Let's say that you do this as a family outing, sort of like you play Monopoly on a Friday or a Saturday night. Do you really want your kids to learn how to play poker? Is that really something that you desire? Because what if they get into a situation where they get into college, maybe they go to a secular college, and they start to use that to pay their bills. By the way, one of our presidents did that, at least one of them that I know of. Richard Milhouse Nixon. And they called him Poker Face. He would actually use that to pay his debts. Is that really something that we want to teach our children? You see, it's a little, that's different than just playing old maid or Uno. There are associations with certain types of games that I would argue are problematic. And I'm going to get to these later on as we go through the biblical principles. But let's talk about the issue of gambling itself. And look at some definitions of gambling. If you were to look this up in the dictionary, you would find in the American Heritage Dictionary the activity of playing a game for stakes, or betting on an uncertain 
outcome. Now that's pretty general. I think it's maybe too general for our purposes, and I'll explain why. But here's another, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. The practice of risking money or other stakes in a game or bet. So there is this idea of risk. There's the idea of an uncertain outcome. You're playing a game and there is money involved, but there's something else involved, and that's what I'll get to in a moment. I want to talk, though, as, as we get to these definitions about the prevalence of gambling in American society. Gambling has always been popular. And throughout world history, people have played all kinds of, of different uh, forms of, of games. And as various forms of gambling in this country have gained legal acceptance, and that's the key. There's something about legal acceptance of something. It really does have an effect on people. And because of that, now they can measure the popularity. Uh, you know, the popularity is, is more measurable. So for instance, Fortune reports that the amount legally wagered on sports doubled from 2020 to 2021. That's during the COVID era. So people are going on their phones and they're betting. Americans wagered more than $52.7 billion throughout the year. Some people are spending as much on betting and gambling as they do on the family groceries. Many of these people are not characterized as problem gamblers or addicted gamblers. And so you don't always see this reflected in the data. But gambling is much more common than sometimes we are led to believe. It's a much greater problem. You may have noticed this for sporting events. During sporting events, ads for gambling or gaming websites are now as pervasive as ads for beer and pickup trucks. Sports leagues, which used to abhor any connection to gambling, now have official betting partners. And I have some information for you there in your handout about how the Addiction Center estimates that in the US, two million people are addicted to gambling and that for as many as 20 million, the habit seriously interferes with work and social life. So they do divide people into categories. There are those who have a severe problem and those who have a uh, sort of a problem. But in my mind, they all have a problem. But it continues that gambling addiction is actually the most common impulse control disorder worldwide. And this comes at a time when it is being legalized more and more. I've given you an idea there of what uh, questions may be asked on a Gamblers Anonymous website, and you can see how it can take, a, uh, take over a person's life. And I'm going to get to these questions more uh, in, in just a moment as, as we get to the biblical principles. But as you go through those questions, you can see how they can affect every part of a person's life. But now this has become... Very, very popular among our young men, especially who are gambling on sports. Now, I noticed uh, last night, I was not watching the game, the Phillies lost. I'm sure there's a lot of sad people back home because in South Jersey, it's all about the Phillies. And there was a lot of betting going on this week. I can guarantee you that. A lot of betting. And so these websites have now popped up where you can very, very easily make bets on games. The way they do it is this. They create formulas or logarithms. And from these, they will create simulations of how the game is going to play out. And this is all done, of course, on the computer. These algorithms are, are run again and again and again. So... The, the simulation may be run a thousand times. 
And one team may win 90% of those times. And so that's the odds, a 90% chance. And I heard one, um, one sports analyst say this. He was basically giving advice on which games to bet on. And he said, okay, now this game is flying under the radar this weekend. And this is the one you want to bet on so that you can make money. And what that told me is, is that people are doing this more than just for entertainment. It's almost like they're doing it as an investment tool. Now, what some people will tell you is, is that they'll say, well, you know, it's not so much gambling. It's gaming. And there's a difference. You see, with gaming, you begin to reduce the risk because you're developing these formulas and logarithms. And by the way, they do take all kinds of variables in mind when they create these computer models of whether a team is going to win or lose. So what they'll do is they'll take into account skill and talent. You know, how many elite players do you have? How many just good players do you have? How many mediocre players and so forth? They'll take account of where you have the, these guys at what, what position. They'll also figure in what year in college they're in because sometimes that makes a difference. And then there are the intangibles. What's the weather like? Does the stadium have a dome? You know, that's sometimes going to affect the game if, if there's a lot of passing, if it's a passing team. Are there any sick or injured players? If somebody gets injured during practice during the week, you'll see the line move toward the other team, usually. And then they'll look at things like the history of a series. And so what they're saying is, is that we're eliminating a lot of the risk because this is more like a game of, of skill. So that's what the apologists for gambling will say. Now, I, had, I do have two answers to that. First of all, there's always an amount of risk with any of these games. I'm a big Clemson fan. And uh, I, my parents both grew up in Clemson, South Carolina. Now, I don't have current population numbers, but this was back in the 90s when I heard this. The, the average, or the, the population of Clemson is around 10 or 12,000. On game days, it's about 90 to 100,000. So you can imagine how much revenue that brings in. I mean, people just live for college football. And sorry to say, it's in my blood. You know, I don't watch it nearly as much as I used to, but every Saturday when they play, when Clemson plays, it's like my blood pressure goes up. I don't know if it's the Viking blood or, or whatever it is, but something just kind of awakens in me. And uh, I don't have a lot of time to, uh, to fool with this. But anyway, they were playing their first game. And they were playing Duke, and they were supposed to you know, easily defeat Duke. In fact, it was a 10-point spread. And they were playing on Duke's field. And so you always get points. You know, if, if you play home field, you get points because you're playing in front of your own crowd. Well, they were a 10-point favorite on someone else's field. So that means they were really supposed to win comfortably. You know, maybe two, maybe three touchdowns even. And I didn't get to watch the game that night because uh, I, I preached the next morning. In fact, I went to bed. I said, I'll just look at the score later. They'll be all right. You know, it's, it's Duke. Well, my wife got me up to tell me something. I said, oh, okay, I'll check the score. It's about 11.20 at night, 11.20 p.m. I checked the score. There are two minutes left in the game. It's in the fourth quarter. It's 28 to 7, Duke. How shocking. Just goes to show you there's always an element of risk in this. But there's something else too. There's something else. And that's what I want to get to with the biblical principles. 
Because in the end, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to take the Bible and we're going to have to explain to our people why this is wrong. If they're not going to hear God's word, they're not going to hear any other argument. But I want to talk first, letter A, about the principle of honoring God in all things. If you would turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. This is one of the key principles. In fact, I, I have placed the, the most important ones under letters A and B. The principle of honoring God. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31. Paul says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. But then he says in verse 32, Give none offense neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Is this activity that I am involved in honoring to God? Or is it an act of idolatry? Is it greed, as we'll get to later? Or what about the associations that are attached to it? Some people see gambling as a matter of Christian liberty. I don't see it that way. I don't think it's a matter of, of liberty. But in whatever we do, we are to make sure that we honor God. You see, any activity that we, that we do can actually be sinful if it's done with the wrong motivation. If it's not done in a way that is honoring to God. So I think that we have to remember this because people will say, well, what about this? What about that? If you say gambling is wrong, what about this or what about that? Well, anything can be wrong if we don't honor God with it. I would argue that it's impossible to honor God in such an activity as gambling. I would also say that there is the problem of associations, which we mentioned before. The ungodly associations with gambling are dishonoring to God. So this is a key principle. I do think it's important for us as Christians to make sure that we're not doing anything that would be dishonoring to God in any of our activities. And I guess I'm going to address one topic that can be very, very controversial, but few years ago, my doctor told me, he said, you need to give up sugar or you're going to be one of these people who checks out early. My cholesterol was very, very high. My weight was high. My blood pressure was high. And so I had to make a choice at, at, at that moment. And I learned several things through that. Now, it took me a while because I loved Pepsis, I loved candy bars and ice cream and, and cookies. But I, I finally did come to the point where I said, okay, I'm gonna cut out all the sugar. What I realized is that it had begun to master my life. And there are things that may not necessarily be wrong in and of themselves, but they are not the best thing for us. They are not honoring to God. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 23, Paul says, all things are lawful for me. And of course, he's talking in a, in a context of liberty. He's not talking about sinful activities. He says, but not all things are expedient. Not all things are, are for my good. Not all things edify. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. And so I think that the first application of this, which actually comes in, in chapter 8, is that we need to make sure that our own activities are honoring to God. Is it something that I can do and still honor God with my body? And one of the things that I discovered when I cut out the sugar was that I felt a lot better. I also noticed that I was addicted to it. 
because my body started to go through withdrawals. You see, I had allowed it to master me. And Paul says, I should not allow anything in my life to control me in such a way. We have to have food and drink, but there are some things that we don't need in this life, and we don't want that to master us. Now, sugar is not a sin. I'm not saying, I'm not arguing that. But the principle here is that there are some things that can dominate our lives to the point where they can be idols. Even things that may not be wrong in and of themselves. I told you I was a football fan as well. And at one point uh, in my life, I was watching hours of football a week. You know, there was Sunday football, then Monday night, of course. That was the big night, Monday night football. And you had a Thursday night game. You had college football on Saturday. And I, uh, I was watching way too much football. And finally, I told my wife, I said, we need to get rid of our cable. cable channels that, that had this on because it had become an idol in my life. I was spending way too much time with it. Now football is not a sin but for me it had become sinful. And I'm making the point that anything can become sinful when it replaces God. Now I think that gambling is especially so because of some of the other reasons that I'm going to get. But I don't think it's possible for a person, a Christian, to engage in gambling and honor God. And I believe that there are many reasons for this. And that brings us to letter B, and that is the principle of loving your neighbor. The principle of loving your neighbor. There's a good article on the G3, uh, on G3 and it's uh, an argument against gambling. And Michael Riley... Uh, and all, the author there says, the argument against gambling typically has two points of emphasis. So this is what we usually think of when we say that gambling is wrong. And that is that Christians are not to be greedy. Is that true? Absolutely. How about this one? Gambling involves tremendous risk and therefore it's poor, poor stewardship. Well, that's another reason. But how about this? What about the stock market? What about if somebody pushes back on this? They'll say, well, when you invest in the stock market, there's risk there. And if you don't do it properly, then that may be bad stewardship. And by the way, I would say, yeah, that is true. But there's something about gambling that is different from the stock market. You see, when people engage in a normal transaction in a money economy, one person gives another person money in exchange for a good or service. Now, you can dispute whether that exchange was fair or whether it was a worthwhile use of money, but from the point of view of those engaged in the transaction, something of value is given in exchange for the money. And so that goes for market transactions, it goes for investment. So when you purchase a, a company's stock, you are giving them money, immediate capital, that they can then use to generate profit. You're giving them something of value, and what do they give you in return? Well, they give you a share of those profits. Now that doesn't always happen, but that's the intention. But gambling is different. You see, in gambling, the money that exchanges hands is not compensated in any way by a good or service. And you can see this, let's say that there's a simple bet between two people, and you bet a quarter on the outcome of a coin toss. If I win, I get your quarter, and I have provided nothing to you. And so even if you add a third party, you still have this problem. If somebody else holds the money, 
And in the common experience of gambling, that's what happens. The third party is often a casino or a state government or a website. A state government that does a lottery is a third party to this. But in any case, the money that I hope to make as a gambler comes from the loss from my neighbor. It is a sin against my neighbor. The third party isn't producing any value either. So in the case of a, a casino or a lottery or a sports book, the third party takes his cut of the bets and then gives the winners money from the losers. But nothing is being produced. The key is, I want to win the bet. I want to take money out of your pocket without giving you anything of value in return. And that's why it's a violation of Christ's commandment to love my neighbor as myself. So this is what separates gambling from a legitimate economic activity. It's not simply the motivation to make a profit. That's not wrong in and of itself. It could be if you're greedy, but just wanting to make a profit is not wrong in and of itself. Nor is it the amount of risk, and this is what we hear a lot of times with gambling, and that is true in a sense. It can be a bad thing because it is poor stewardship. But here's the point that, uh, that this one author makes. He says, even if you eliminated all risk, and by the way, does that happen in gambling? Actually, it does when people rig a set of cards. You are, you know, that becomes even worse. That becomes outright theft. But still, in a sense, it is theft. Because the entire problem with gambling, the entire mechanic is built on my hope of gaining at the expense of my neighbor when I am offering him nothing. I cannot hope to win without hoping that he will lose and that his money will become mine. So the truth is, is that gambling is not as harmless as we think. It is predicated on the losses, pain, and suffering of others. That's what separates it from investment. That's what would separate it from the stock market. For one to win at gambling, others must lose. And sometimes the biggest losers are the gambler's closest loved ones. Now, many gambling sites, and I think this is so ironic, but many gambling sites have clear warnings. I'm not encouraging anyone to do this, but if you go on a gaming website, you'll, hear that you'll see this big disclaimer. And they'll even have a section for if you are a problem gambler, they will give warnings to you. Now, for a Christian, that is a giant red flag. This is where we need to warn our congregation. Gambling exploits and preys upon the, the desperation of the poor. So remember one of the arguments that I gave you from the beginning. Uh, for instance, is it a sin to buy a raffle ticket to support a fundraiser for cancer cures? You know, I could easily ask, is it okay to rob the rich to give to the poor? Of course not. The end does not justify the means. But with gambling, what you're doing many times is robbing from the poor to give to others. The National Gambling Impact Study Commission found that those with incomes of less than $10,000 spend more on lottery tickets than any other group. High school dropouts spend four times as much as college graduates. It is clearly a system where you are taking advantage of other people. You can say that you're doing it for entertainment. You can say that, well, I just had some spare money. And, uh, you know, by the way, it's, it's my prerogative how to spend my money. Have you ever heard that 
before. I mean, people say this with various things. But if you're a Christian, it's not our right to do whatever we want. Because everything we have belongs to God. And it's certainly not our right to take advantage of our neighbor. So even if you just bought one lottery ticket, you are participating in a system which preys on the disadvantaged. This is clearly at odds with a biblical ethic. I haven't even, uh, I had some, some other things that I was going to share and I uh, was not able to do that. But gambling, as, as many of you probably know, is, is linked with organized crime. There has been traditionally that linkage. And scripture warns us not to run with those who do evil. Not to take advantage of the poor in their plight. Also under this principle of letter B, loving your neighbor. I do not want to be a stumbling block to others. If you'll turn to 1 Corinthians 8. In verse 9, now this would, this would apply, let's say, to playing a game of blackjack on a phone. And I know that this would be, you know, it would be problematic to call this, at first glance, a sinful activity. You're playing it on your phone. You're not playing for money. And it's a game like you would play like any other. So what would be the, the, the harm in playing blackjack on your phone? But in 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, Paul says this, and he's talking about meat here offered to idols, but take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. In other words, something that causes other people to fall into sin. Does that mean that I have to live my life according to everyone else's preferences? No. That would be impossible. But there are certain activities and actions that I need to avoid because they will cause people to sin. I would argue that social drinking is one. And I believe there are more reasons why social drinking is wrong. But that's one of them. Because of the stumbling block that you will be to others. But the same is true with even what we would call harmless games of playing with poker Cards, playing with a deck for poker chips or playing games on a phone. You have to be very, very careful of these things. Paul says in verse 10, For if any man see thee which hast knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish? For whom Christ died. Now notice verse 12. But when ye what? What's the next word? When ye sin so against the brethren. And wound their weak conscience. Ye sin against Christ. Here's Paul's conclusion. Wherefore if meat make my brother to offend. I will eat no flesh or no meat. While the world standeth. Lest I make my brother to offend. Maybe it's a game of blackjack on my phone in the privacy of my home. But you know, what if somebody were to say, hey, pastor, what do you do in your spare time? What games do you play on your phone? Am I going to lie? Hey, I play blackjack. One of my lay people says, well, Pastor Turner is playing blackjack on his phone. Hmm. Or they may see someone else Someone else in the congregation who has a, a reputation for godliness. And they say, well, boy, if that person does it, then surely it can't be that wrong. But it could lead that person to sin very, very easily. And I would argue that it can do great, great spiritual harm. The spiritual health of my brother is more important than my personal liberty. There are other games I can play. There are other activities I can engage in that don't have ungodly associations, that don't have the problems associated with them. And I think that's how we need to train our congregations to think. 
It's not just, well, you know, why not? Why should I do what is right as well? Because I want to live for the glory of God. I don't want to get as close to the edge as I can. But I want to do what is right for the honor of God and for the love of my brother. I've given you two other principles here. And that is the principle of honest labor. And you can read through those passages. I want to turn in, in particular though to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. This goes along as well with good stewardship. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10. Paul says, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some among you, or which walk among you disorderly, out of rank, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. In Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4 and verse 28, the Bible says, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. We need to teach our children, our people in general, a good work ethic. And I think that's missing today. We have an entitlement mentality. In too many cases, when people sign a contract and they agree to pay, then we need to encourage them to pay their debts. And yes, it may be a painful thing. They may have to go to that creditor and they may have to say, look, is there a way we can set up payments or whatever we have to do? But instead of not paying their debt or in looking to the government or to others to pay the debts that they contracted to pay. So this is a big problem. And people do gamble because they have this idea, and this leads to letter D, that there are some get-rich-quick schemes out there. And people do have dreams of winning the lottery. By the way, have you ever read about what happens to people who win the lottery? The issue is not how much money you have. And you know, at the beginning of this, I told you that I never had a problem with gambling. And you know, I thought to myself, I don't have that much money to gamble anyway. But really, that's not the issue. Because a lot of people will gamble anyway. Even when they don't have the money. When they can't afford it. So that's not really the issue. It's the greed. And that's something that is not just true for wealthy people. It's true for all of us. All of us are sinful people who want more, who tend to want more than what God has given us. And so there is that principle of contentment, being content with such things as we have. Well, there was uh, one resolution uh, that I read it expressed deep concern about the rapid growth of two forms of gambling. And this is a warning that we need to give to our people. The internet digital gambling devices or platforms that are out there. Now, just like with everything else, for instance, online pornography, evil people have access to our homes. And sometimes we're not aware. A lot of young people are being taken in by these gambling sites and their parents do not know it. They're not aware of it. Some gambling sites will even offer you credit. They'll even offer you an amount of money. They'll say, we'll give you $200 up front, a credit. And it reminds me of a drug dealer who gives out his wares for free and then he comes back and he has you hooked at that point. But that is what is going on. 
Internet or digital gambling is an international problem. It is virtually unregulated because of the Internet. According to this, it leads to corruption, money laundering, and also the funding of terrorist organizations. You never know when you go on the Internet. And when you deal with evil people, you never know who you're associated with. We find these warnings over and over again in the book of Proverbs. It seems like when we put in our lot with greedy people, if we're not careful, we can not just greedy people, but people who are murderers, people who abuse others are included in that. As I said, organized crime. The social cost of addiction, bankruptcy, suicide, family discord, Young adults and senior citizens are among the most vulnerable populations today at risk to gambling addiction. And again, we should all take heed lest we fall. And this is also expanded onto tribal lands. And that has gone on for some time. But gambling expansion on tribal lands Native American lands has fostered racism and hate crimes. It has caused discord between tribal members. It has led to divisions in churches and families. Alcohol and gambling have devastated the American Indian community. Those two things have absolutely devastated these people. And it should be a lesson for all of us. One final thing before we're done. And that is that Christians have historically frowned upon gambling. Now, this goes way back in church history. So you can find a consistent testimony as you go back. From very early times, gambling was forbidden by church canon law. There were two of the oldest of the so-called canons of the apostles that forbade games of chance under pain of excommunication to clergy and laity alike. So, uh, in one canon, if you were guilty of gambling, you would be excommunicated for at least a year. And then perhaps you would be restored back to communion if you were found to be repentant. But the whole point of this is that it was recognized as a problem back then, and the church actually has spoken with a united voice about this over the centuries. Some authorities have attempted to explain the severity of the ancient canons against gambling by supposing that idolatry was connected with it. And what they said was is that the pieces that they played with in their gambling games were small-sized idols or images of the gods. And supposedly the players were invoking these little idols uh, for good luck. But... Uh, one of the, the church fathers remarked that that, can, that could hardly be true because the penalties would have been more severe if that were the case, if they were involved in idolatry. So there was a clear stance against gambling. Pagan writers of antiquity were almost as severe in their condemnation of gambling as were the councils of the Christian church. So that really does say something when even unsaved people know that this is harmful to society. Tacitus and Ammianus Marcellinus. Well, that's a great name for your kid, Marcellinus. But he tells us that uh, men were led into, by gambling into fraud, cheating, lying, perjury, threat, theft, and other enormities. And so again... You can see this from the testimony of the church. You can see it even from the testimony of unsaved people. But most importantly of all, the scriptures speak against it. Now there is no verse, of course, that says thou shalt not gamble. But that's the case with many things. There are principles, though, that say that gambling is wrong. And that Christians should not gamble. Now, people can come up with individual instances. You can multiply, you know, you know what about this or, or what, about, what about that? 
And it's just something that you have to work through with, with your people. But in the end, I believe that the scriptures are clear about this. When you take all of these pieces together, the love for God, honoring God, the love for one's neighbor, the problem of, of greed, uh, good stewardship, the problem of not being a stumbling block to others, uh, the problem of ungodly associations. When we take all of these things together, there's just nothing good about gambling for the Christian. Okay, are there any questions? And by the way, if uh, I'm not going to promise I can answer them. But uh, if, if you do have any uh, questions or any comments on this, anybody have any experience with uh, people in your congregations who have had problems with this or anyone? I did know one man, uh, this was in the 90s, and uh, this was back when video poker became popular. Anybody remember that? They would have the little casino type machines, video poker machines, and they would put these in the little corner groceries. And Dr. Bob III took a public stand against it. This was, oh, I guess 1993 around that time. And he called these video poker machines the crack cocaine of gambling. A very, very apt description because it, there was just something about it. It just captured people. There was a man I knew at our church. He would go home after, at Friday afternoon when he got his paycheck and he would dump almost all of his paycheck into those machines. His wife was ready to leave him his children were going down the drain. And he came and he was really at wit's end. He was at the bottom. And he was a, an individual who, who we would call low income, but yet he worked faithfully. He worked hard for his family. Nothing wrong with that. But he was captured by this. And there are so many cases that we hear like that. And it really brings home how harmful this activity is. And I think it's going to become more so in the years to come as we continue to move away from our Christian heritage, as sin becomes easier and easier through the Internet, and as these gaming sites multiply, I think we're going to find more and more of this. It's almost sort of a macho thing for young men these days. You know, when they play this fantasy football, it's sort of a way of, you know, can I outdo the other guys? And they'll study the, they'll study the teams. And uh, they'll, they'll come up with their own formulas and algorithms. That's becoming very popular these days. And, you know, over a, a period of years, you add more and more variables, and the algorithms become more complicated. And it's sort of like insurance. You know, it's hard to predict what's going to happen to an individual. But if you gather information on whole populations, after a while the patterns start to emerge and you can start to make predictions. And that's what's happening with this gambling. And so, you know, they pull all of their money together and you invest in several different games at once. And people say, well, you know, you know what is it hurting? It's almost like an investment. But again, it is coming from other people's loss. People are losing a lot of their income and livelihood to this scourge. So let's pray that God would help us to take a stand against these things, would fortify us with his word. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time today. We thank you for the clear light that your word gives. And Lord, we only scratched the surface on this topic and there are many others. And Lord, we do confess that we need your wisdom we also confess that you're the only one who changes hearts. But we pray that we would point other people to your holiness and to your glory, how important it is to live for you and to honor you in all things. We thank you for each one here, and we pray that you would continue to bless our time here at this conference. We thank you so much for the great messages that we have heard from your word 
for how fortifying, how edifying they are to our souls. And we thank you that we can enjoy uh, this time of, of teaching and fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.